to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving and let us make a joyful noise with him in song. For the Lord is great and he is a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth and the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his for he has made it and his hands form the dry land. Oh, come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord God, our maker. Oh, water, you turn into wine. Open the eyes of the blind. There's no one like you. None like you. Into the darkness you shine. Out of the ashes we rise. There's no You guys stand up and let's sing about how great our God is. Let's lift it up this morning. Here we go. You ready? Into the darkness you shine. Out of the ashes we rise. There's no one like you. None like you. Come on, sing it out. Ready? Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are high. morning. Do that right now. And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what can stand against? And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what could stand against? 
let's bow. Father, indeed you are great, and uh, we've come here to worship you. And God, thank you that in, you have the ability to heal, you have the ability to save, transform people's lives. And this morning, we're not coming worshiping some inanimate object. Uh, God, we're not coming in here worshiping the figment of our imagination. But God, we are here to lift up the name of Jesus Christ, who was buried for our sin and raised from the dead. Indeed, you are alive. And because of that, God, we have faith that transforms. And Lord, I'm trusting this morning that you're going to speak to every single heart. And God, I have seen your ability to change people's lives over and over in our fellowship and so thankful for how you've worked in Han's life. He's going to be baptized now. So Lord, I pray that you bless him and Lynn and our entire church family as we see him follow you in obedience and baptism. And we give you glory for how you're doing a great work. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and everybody said, amen. You can be seated. God bless you this morning. You can be seated. We are very, very excited this morning to be able to, uh, to baptize Hans this morning. If you are a friend or a family member of Hans, would you stand up for me, please? All over the place, buddy. Check that out. We're very, very grateful you guys are here. You guys can be seated. Um, this has been a long time coming. Hans has uh, accepted Christ in August of 2009. But he's taken a long time to decide, okay, when do I get baptized? And the Lord has confirmed it in his heart that today was the day. And I was so honored. Hans called me and said, hey, man, I want, I want you to do this, but you will bring me back up, right? I said, man, I promise once that last bubble's done, I will bring you right back up. And, uh, but no, man, I'm very, very excited. And it's, I told him, I said, this water is not what saves you. It's the asking Christ to come into your heart and to save your life from sin. And it's the blood of Christ that saves you. This water, all this is, is an act of obedience. And so today, Hans comes to do that. And Lynn wanted to say just one thing uh, as a word of thank you to uh, a lot of people that have held Hans accountable. Thank you. Um, if you really want to understand what members are about in church family, this is it. My church family helped us through times and helped Hans be accountable and helped him with his faith. You helped us, and I can't thank you enough. I love my husband, and together we both trust and believe in God. Thank you. Amen. Amen. All right. There we go. That's right, right there. Hans, this morning I baptize you, my brother. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. We're buried with Christ in the likeness of His death. And we are raised to walk in newness of life. Amen. Awesome, awesome, awesome. You know, the Lord may be dealing with some of you in the building today, and uh, you know you've given your heart to Jesus Christ, but you have yet to be baptized. That's the first step of obedience, according to the Bible. So if that's you, man, I'd love to talk to you following the service. We'll set you up, uh, get you in a part where you're being obedient to the Lord. Now, if you're visiting with us, so glad that you're here. When you came in, you should have got a brochure. And inside the brochure is a little section we encourage all of our visitors to fill out. Uh, just so, so we can have a record of your visit, be praying for you. You can drop it in the offertory plate or meet me in the foyer following the service. And uh, we'd love to meet you, give you a free gift just for showing up this morning. But right now, let's stand to our feet. Find a few people you hadn't talked to already and welcome them to God's house this morning.
before you as we read in your scripture a while ago. We come, we lift our hearts to you because of your great name. Lord, that's the only reason we're here this morning is to praise and honor and lift you up in spirit and in truth. May you inhabit the praises of your people in this place today, in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. You can feel free to stand up too in a minute.
deliverer, our healer, our savior. Come on, let's sing his name. said pastor's getting ready to preach about it here in just a few minutes we want our hearts to be prepared get all the junk out of the way as we prepare for the way of the Lord today that's what we want to lift up so Lord as we prepare as we desire to prepare our own hearts work in us Lord Jesus for your name is great and worthy to be praised come on guys prepare ye the way that's it prepare ye the way of the Lord. That's all you gotta sing. Prepare ye the way. Prepare ye the way. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Let's sing a little part. Here we go. You ready? Prepare. Prepare ye the way. pray together. Father, thank you so much for your great love. Lord, as I consider that for just a moment, I'm reminded of Paul's writing to the church in Rome where he talks about 
how there is no greater love than this, but a love that would lay down his life for us. And God, I thank you that the Bible also says in the book of Romans that nothing can separate us from that love. God, you give it freely. You pour it out into our hearts based upon your grace. And now, Father, because you have displayed love in your Son and you have poured your love out in our hearts by the Spirit, we in the family now can express love towards one another. And God, we thank you for that. And Lord, our prayer this morning is that you would speak clearly to our hearts. Give us a passion for your name, a passion for your glory. And then give us a desire, Lord, to really live in such a fashion that it would honor you that it would glorify you and make you known. And God, I pray for your word this morning. I know that it never returns void. So I pray that it would leap out from the pages and accomplish that which you desire for your kingdom purposes. And God, I pray for people this morning. There are some who don't know you personally. God, if they were to die now, they'd split hell wide open. They desperately need to be saved. God, I can't do it. So I just flat out call upon your Holy Spirit power to convict people of sin and righteousness and draw them to salvation. And God, likewise, there are people here, they do know you. But Lord, they're walking a distance. God, use your word to draw them close to yourself this morning. And we'll give you absolute glory for it as we seek in our own hearts to prepare the way to see you in a fresh way as we study Luke's gospel together. And that's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. You can be seated. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair, and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Well, we're going to begin studying Luke's gospel together. So I want to invite you, if you brought a Bible with you, Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 20 this morning will be our text. And the title of the message series is just simply going to be Astonished. You know, you saw a video about John the Baptist, but I would also let you in on the fact that a prevailing adjective used to describe the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus is the word astonished. Luke who authored the book, but also was a doctor by trade. He records after the supernatural healing of a lame man about Jesus, saying this, they were all struck with astonishment and began glorifying God. The word astonishment literally means a state of amazement and joy. The reaction many people had to the life and ministry of Jesus was just that. They were amazed and they were filled with joy. Now, I am not completely sure who coined the phrase I'm about to give you, but I want to give it to you and listen very close. The phrase goes this way, familiarity breeds contentment. What this short 
three-lettered statement is saying is that we often become complacent and no longer moved by what is familiar. And the sad reality is that this is true of many of us who are avid church attenders when it comes to the person of Jesus. I mean, we've heard all the stories. We've read about all of the miracles. We've known the beginning and end of the life and ministry of Jesus on earth. And this familiarity with the Lord Jesus actually holds the potential to cool our hearts and make us complacent. However, my prayer for our study of Luke's gospel together is simply that we will look at the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ with fresh eyes, new eyes, if need be. Instead of just being acquainted with the gospel of Jesus, my prayer is that we would be astonished with him. Uh, you know how you are with some people in life. You know them as acquaintances. Uh, you don't really have a deep and meaningful relationship with them. When you see one another, you kind of exchange cordials. You're kind of like, hey, how you doing? What's going on? I'm fine, etc." But our meaningful relationships are much deeper. Oftentimes when studying the Gospels and peering at the person of Jesus, I have to admit I treat the Lord more as an acquaintance than really seeking to pursue a vibrant relationship with Him. I would need that to be changed in my life. And that being said, I'm praying that God the Holy Spirit would guide us through the Scripture and cause our hearts literally be astonished together at the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to follow the path of the Lord Jesus through Luke's gospel together. But we need to be prepared so that we can see him clearly. But the question is, how do we get prepared? Well, there was someone by the name of John the Baptist. His entire purpose was to prepare the people to see the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, John the Baptist may not be what you would envision a representative of God. I mean, he didn't come with a great trumpet. He wasn't dressed in the finest clothes. He wasn't dazzling in a white robe. He was a man who did not have great eloquence or culture. And I don't know if y'all noticed the video, but he also ate locusts. Are y'all with me on that one? I started to pass some out this morning, and let's just try just to see. That's probably why I had the wild honey to chase that joker down. But anyway, so uh, that was the case. But you might say John the Baptist had his own unique style. And one of my favorite um, Bible individuals is John the Baptist. Mark's record for us in his gospel, John was clothed with camel hair. He wore a leather belt around his waist. He had a diet of locusts and wild honey. William Barclay a commentator has stated, to look at the man was to be reminded not of the fashionable orators of the day, but of the ancient prophets who lived close to the great simplicities and avoided the soft and effeminate luxuries which kill the soul. In other words, John the Baptist was not a sissified pansy who beat around the bush when it came to the truth of Almighty God. He would take a very deep breath and he would declare the truth of God as the Lord had intended him to do. He was sent to prepare the people for the Messiah. Now, you and I this morning, as we begin to look at this narrative about John the Baptist, we can take principles from this narrative and apply them directly to our lives, which, listen, when we do this, it will prepare you and I to clearly see with fresh eyes the Lord Jesus Christ as we study together. Now, please look at the preacher eyeball to eyeball just a moment. The message that I'm going to preach this morning is one that you have to get. Somebody say, I got to get it. Uh, you have to get this because this prepares you as we continue to look at the Lord Jesus Christ in his life and his ministry. And my prayer literally is that our eyes will be open and we would see him not as an acquaintance, but we would move near him and get to know him as individuals, but also as a church body. And I'm fully convinced that if every single one of us focus on the Lord Jesus, God will do an absolute miracle in this place that we cannot explain. So we've got to focus on him. So there's some principles. Are y'all still with me? Say yes. The first principle, very simple. It's get rid of the logs. Get rid of the logs. Everybody say logs. Very good. Turn your attention, if you will, to Luke's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 3. You've got it there in front of you. Say Amen. The Bible says, He came into all the district around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every ravine will be filled, every mountain and hill will be brought low, the crooked will become straight, the rough road smooth, and all flesh will see the salvation 
of God. Now stop there for just a moment. John's ministry was a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. Uh, just so you will know, and this is kind of free information, but John the Baptist is actually seen as the last Old Testament prophet. First New Testament prophet uh, ends up being the Lord Jesus. But anyway, John's ministry, he fulfilled the Old Testament prophet of Isaiah. The king of kings was coming, and the people just flat out need to get ready. In the days of Luke, before an oriental king would enter into a town, they would send a herald before him, and he would go ahead and prepare the people for his arrival. So he'd announce to the people, hey, the king is coming, y'all get ready. And he would also check the roads to make sure that they were leveled out, that they were in good repair, so that the king would have an adequate way to get into the city. So when the herald came through and he was shouting, here comes the king, all of the townspeople would gather together and they'd begin to prepare the roads. They would remove all the stones out of the way, all the rocks out of the way, all the debris and all of the logs from the road so that the arrival of his chariot would not be impeded or hindered. I remember this happening while I was in uh, Kenya, we were driving uh, to one place to do ministry, but on our travels, all of a sudden we found a couple of taxis that were going ahead of us extremely quickly, and they were shouting out, basically, hey, the political leader is coming. And so all of the people began to prepare. They were cleaning out the roads. They were throwing palm trees down, all of these sorts of things, getting prepared for this political king. Well, it's a good picture of what John the Baptist was up to. John had the unique privilege to be the herald who would prepare, listen, not the roads, but he actually would prepare the hearts of people for the long-awaited Jewish Messiah, the Christ. John was preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So John wanted the townspeople all around Jerusalem to get their hearts right for the arrival of Jesus. He called them to turn from their sin, listen, and to be baptized for the repentance of their sin and to represent their confession. Now, John the Baptist didn't invent the idea of baptism. One commentator notes, and I quote, Jews knew of baptism on several occasions. The community of the Dead Sea Scrolls of Qumran had many rituals involving water purification so that a person frequently entered into the waters. In contrast, John called for a one-time action symbolizing an entirely new approach to life. Jews, they also, by the way, just so you know, they baptized Gentiles who wanted to become Jews. Such Gentiles were called proselytes. So baptism initiated people into Judaism. But John baptized uh, Jews, and he was not initiating them into a new relationship with God. What he was doing was asking them to reaffirm their relationship by admitting they had not lived up to God's covenant demands located in the Old Testament and that they would commit themselves to now doing so. Just so you know, baptism is not the same, that is John's baptism, not the same as believer's baptism, which represents the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It didn't represent that in Luke chapter 3 because Jesus hadn't died and been buried and resurrected yet. So the church has not even started yet. Y'all out there say yes. Y'all with me? I'm going to clear my throat. Everybody look among yourselves and speak for just a moment. I had a locust <laughs> leg. Locust leg in my throat. But anyway, so, uh, <laughs> I, okay, let's go ahead and preach here. <laughs> so this is a person's way of symbolizing renewal of their heart in preparation for the coming Messiah King. It's promised by God and recorded for us in the Old Testament. Now, bottom line is that there were a bunch of people coming out to be baptized by John the Baptist. A lot of folks hear about this wild man out here preaching. He's in the wilderness, out in the desert, man. So everybody says, hey, come out here and listen to this guy. So that's what they did. They were repenting of their sins after hearing his message of judgment. So they were actually turning from their violation of God's law, and they were desiring to renew their commitment to God. So they were getting themselves ready. Listen, they were getting themselves ready to see Jesus clearly. So what is the principle? Well, let's get rid of the logs. Remember the act of getting the roads ready? One of the things they would have to remove were the logs. So... We know that in order for us to get prepared, and I'm talking about us, in order for us to get prepared to see Jesus with fresh eyes as we study Luke's gospel, we've got to get the logs out of the way. Somebody says, well, what in the world are the logs? I brought some logs this morning. Well, I had someone bring them for me because I don't know where to get any. But I had some logs. So whenever I say, hey, let's get these logs out of the way, what are we talking about? Here's the deal. Logs are just sin. That's what it is. You're a follower of Jesus Christ, but you flat out have some sin in your life. Known, willful disobedience to God's commandment to love him 
and to love other people. So if you've placed anything or anyone in your life as higher priority than getting to know Jesus Christ, that is a log. That is a sin. If we have a problem with somebody uh, where there is jealousy, envy, malice, bitterness, or hatefulness, somebody you work with, somebody you go to church with, somebody you're in a small group Sunday school class with, anybody in the building, if you've got a problem with them, guess what? You've got a log in your eye, man. Now, I know at this point what ends up happening is people love to point out other people's logs. Are y'all listening say yes? I'd love to go down, man, look at that dude's log. Here's what Jesus basically said, and I'll give you my paraphrase. Jesus said, hey, don't go around pointing out toothpicks in everybody else's eyes when you've got logs in your own. Are y'all listening? So right now, this is not an encouragement for you to start thinking about everybody else's logs. This is for you to look, open your eyes, and ask the question, God, is there something between me and you that should not be there? I want to get rid of the log today. Now, I want you to imagine for just a moment. It's pretty interesting. You know, I had uh, Jonathan Sutton help me out with all of these logs. He brought them in a bag that's down here in the front. I unloaded it all by myself, but he brought the bag in. <laughs> And uh, whenever the bag was being brought in with all the logs in it, I, I started thinking to myself, how many people come to church like that? They come to God's house to worship, but they got a bag just full of logs. Are y'all listening? So they come into God's house, and then they, they come in to worship, and they sit down, and they've got all these logs. And then what is ever happening, as soon as we start preaching Jesus, or as soon as we start singing to Jesus, these logs get up in our way and keep us from seeing Him clearly. And so then you, you leave church and, and you take your same sin, put it back in the bag which you brought, and you pick it back up, and then you walk back out of church and you look around. Did you get anything out of that? No, I didn't get anything out of that. Are y'all listening? So sorry, what are we supposed to do with the logs? Well, let me ask you a question. You ever seen the uh, TV show Extreme Home Makeover? I'm asking y'all a question. Y'all ever seen that show? Yeah, Extreme Home Makeover. It's a pretty cool little, you know, deal. Ty Pennington, you know. Uh, he basically, they go into a house that's all destroyed and messed up, and this family really needs some help, and it's a well-deserving family. So they, they go in and they help them. So they take the family out of their home for a week. They go on vacation, and then they go in, and for an entire week, they rebuild the home. And then when the home is done, they bring the family back in a limousine to come and see the house. But whenever they get out of the limousine, guess what? There is something obstructing their view of the home. Do y'all know what it is? Somebody say it out loud. That's right. So I love what Ty Pennington done. Ty's like, uh, hey, you know what to do. You know what to do. You know what to do. And they get all fired up about it too, don't they? So they stand up and what do they shout? Move that. That was like 10 of y'all. Let's get it all together. Move that. Yeah, they're moving the bus. And when the bus is moving, they're just like, good night. They're astonished. Look at the preacher just a moment. What do you need to do this morning when you've got logs in your eyes? You need to move that. And when you move the log, what will happen is, as we study the Gospel of Luke, and the logs are removed and out of the way, we will see Jesus clearly, and we will be astonished. Amazement and great joy. And listen, you can continue to bring your logs on up into church, but I'm just telling you, you're wasting your time, man. John the Baptist says, repent. Your preacher says, repent. Y'all still out there say Yes. Now, it's very easy because the Bible teaches us how to remove the logs. It tells us in 1 John 1 and 9, if we confess our sin and bring it to the Lord, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we just confess it. It's 1 John 1 and 9. Confess our sin. He's faithful and just to, for, watch this, to, as I confess it because I see it and I bring it to God and I say, Lord, this is sin. What God does is he, by, listen, his grace just begins to move it right out of the way. And there you are. Are y'all listening? Say yes. So we got to get rid of the logs. That's the first principle. Y'all still with me? Say yes. Now there's the second principle. And the second principle is don't be a snake. Y'all encouraged? Don't be a snake. Verse 7 in your Bibles, look at it. The scripture says, so he began saying to the crowds who were going out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. Are y'all just get into the story here for a moment. Y'all listening? He's out there baptizing people. Hey, y'all come out. Y'all need to repent of your sin. You need to be baptized. And people come out. We want to be baptized. You snakes. You brood of vipers. I've always thought what that would be like 
if I did that, when people want to come and get baptized, you snakes, just hollered out, you brood of vipers, look at y'all. Fork tongues. And then notice what he says, who warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come? In other words, who, who gave you the warning, man? How did, you, how did you even hear about what was going on? And what, what happens, by the way, just for free, is a lot of people just want another religious act to count to their little column of good deeds. So I want to be baptized. Hey, who warned you to flee? He says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you, that from these stones God is able to raise up children to Abraham. Indeed, the axe is already laid at the root of the tree. So every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Let's stop there for just a moment. And let's just all sit back and say it together. John the Baptist was a sweet man. Would you agree? Just so tender, mild. Now, the reason I give the principle don't be a snake is simply because the snake in this passage is a person who says they have confessed their sin, but there is no lifestyle change. They are still just as selfish and just as hateful as before. And John states these people did not need to receive the symbolic baptism of confession until there was a settled reality of a changed life. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. In other words, what he's doing is he's looking at them and saying, hey, y'all want to be baptized? Go prove y'all to be baptized. Show a lifestyle difference. So that, that really leads us to uh, make a couple little statements about repentance. And please listen, true repentance shows up in our attitudes and our actions. Uh, true repentance, and by the way, repentance just means change of mind, change of heart, change of direction. True repentance causes people to change how they think, which leads them to a change of action. So John warns them not to, not to look back and be like, hey, we have as our father Abraham. In other words, what they're doing is they're looking at John the Baptist and saying, hey, you don't get it, man. We're Jewish. Abraham's our daddy. We're good to go. John's like, don't you count on some family tree, man. Instead, you better look at your own tree. That is, look at your own life. And let's just see, is there any fruit there? And uh, just a free little preaching right here. Look at the preacher for just a moment. Hey, hey, when somebody comes up to you and asks you whether or not you have a genuine relationship with Jesus, please don't say, my whole family's Christian. I didn't ask you about your family tree. The question is, your tree, is there any fruit there? And if there's no fruit, there is no Christ. And then I like uh, how John the Baptist comes up. He's like, God can cause children to be raised up from these stones. Now, here's the fact that um, there were some who pridefully, that is the Jewish uh, individuals under his hearing, they pridefully thought that God needed them. John's like, God doesn't need you. Are y'all listening? Say yes. God doesn't need you. If God needs children from Abraham, he can raise them up from these stones, man. What makes you think you're so special? <laughs> Are y'all listening? <laughs> Y'all catching John the Baptist's tone? Good night. He wasn't playing, was he? So some of the descendants of Abraham believed that God's covenant promises were unconditional rather than conditional promises. And most of them in the Old Testament were conditional based upon a faith response to the Lord. So John then runs their minds directly to the fact that their lack of repentance was dangerously, listen, dangerously close to God's judgment. Look in your Bible at verse 9 again. He says, indeed, the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. So every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, please remember the context. Uh, what are the trees that need to bear good fruits? Well, the trees represent John's listeners. So he's saying, uh, who do, this is huge. He's saying, you who do not bear fruit in keeping with repentance better be warned. There's an axe ready to sever your life at the root and throw you into the fire. The fire metaphor, it speaks directly of God's judgment. These men who wanted to be baptized by John but had never experienced genuine repentance and faith in God, they would be judged by God and, listen, thrown into the fire. 
You know, I find it interesting oftentimes whenever we, you know, listen to preaching stuff, people are like, boy, I tell you what, I don't like preaching where they talk about hell and fire and brimstone. You'd have hated John the Baptist. Moreover, you wouldn't have liked Jesus either. Y'all out there? John the Baptist probably wouldn't be invited to a whole bunch of churches to preach. Well, he wasn't dressed right, number one. He didn't eat right. He wasn't real eloquent either. Are y'all listening? But he was a bad boy, wasn't he? Sent from God. Hey, can I just throw it in for free? Uh, be very careful. Just because you don't like the preaching doesn't mean the word didn't come from the Lord. <laughs> that was free. I wasn't in this notes, right? Talking about the fire here, listen closely, and I want you to listen to this. This is huge, because I thought about myself, you know, and I'm listening, I'm, I'm reading, studying, and praying, and saying, all right, Lord, how does this apply, all right? He's talking directly to these people and saying, hey, you guys, y'all better start showing some genuine repentance, man. The axe is at the tree, at the very root, man. It's going to cut you, throw you into the fire. God's judgment's coming. So I'm like, Lord, how does this apply? How, how does it fit? Listen closely. One of the judgments they would receive in the text, one of the judgments they would receive is that they would be unable to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus, unless they repented. Are y'all listening say yes? So, so, so what do we do? As you and I study the New Testament book of Luke, if we don't genuinely get rid of the logs from our eyes, one of God's judgment in this study is that we will be unable to see clearly the glory of God in the face of Christ. We will totally miss Jesus. And I can preach, listen, I can preach the whole year out of Luke's gospel. Talk about Jesus every single Sunday. But if you've got logs in your eyes, man, you will miss it. So back to our text. What exactly are the fruits the people needed to bear according to this great prophet? In verse 10 through 14, the Bible says, And the crowds were questioning him, saying, Then what shall we do? And he would answer and say to them, The man who has two tunics, that is two coats, is to share with him who has none. He who has some food is to do likewise. Some tax collectors also came to be baptized, and they said to him, Teacher, what, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what you have been ordered to. Some soldiers were questioning him, saying, oh, What about us? You know, what do we need to do? And he, he said to them, uh, Don't take money from anyone by force, or cause, or rather, I'm sorry, accuse anyone falsely, and be content with your wages. So John, the Baptist here, describes for them the attitudes and actions that should be evident in their lives if they truly repented. But really, it boils down to no longer living a self-centered life. All three groups who questioned John had the same problem. They were all selfish thieves. We work backwards. Verse 14, don't take money by force. In other words, stop stealing. Verse 13, don't collect more money than required. In other words, stop stealing. Verse 11, share with others when it is in your power to do so. In other words, stop stealing. Now here we see John states that the fruits of repentance are an absence of selfishness and a presence of generosity. Man, I pray you listen to this. This is huge. Fruits of repentance, an absence of selfishness and a presence of generosity. Now, if we're going to see Jesus with fresh eyes during our study, this means that you and I have to make sure we aren't snakes. That is, we cannot identify the logs in our lives and say, Lord, I agree with you. There's no doubt this is a sin. This is a big old log. And Lord, I confess this sin to you. But then walk out of the building carrying the same sin. That's not repentance. Y'all out there? It's not repentance. And by the way, listen, unless you genuinely repent, you can't even get saved. Repentance and faith are the same side of the same... Same side, two sides of the same coin. There's repentance and faith. They come together. When you genuinely are convicted by your sin and you're brought into a relationship with God, you must come with a repentant heart. Saying, God, I am a sinner. There's no way I can save myself. So I'm turning from my old way of living and thinking, I'm going to embrace you for salvation. That's faith. That's why a lot of people will be like, oh, yeah, man, I believe in Jesus. Listen, the devil believes, all right? Y'all still out there? Repentance and faith, they come together. So how do I know if I genuinely repented of a particular sin? Uh, real easy answer. I stopped doing it. Are y'all listening? 
I said, stop doing it. That's genuine repentance. Stop doing it. And my selfish act of sin is replaced by an attitude of generous service toward others. And this is why I've never seen it like this before, but a lack of generous service. A lack of generous service equals a lack of genuine repentance. Y'all right, see that? Because this is wild. When you genuinely turn from your sin, you let go of the logs, you put them down, and you actually repent of them, you immediately have free hands to start serving other people. Are y'all out there? That's why James says it like this. Faith without works is dead. You, you've got genuine faith. Hey, you've got faith that God can enable you to let go of those logs. But genuine faith, when it shows up, good night, there's works all of a sudden everywhere. Just want to serve people. So if we want to get ready to see Jesus with fresh eyes and loose God, we've got to get rid of the logs. We've got to make sure we're not snakes. No snakes up in this building. Y'all listening? Literally or figuratively. Can I get a witness? Amen on that one. Which, by the way, we had a snake in our house in Lula, Georgia. A little bitty snake crawling through the foyer, snuck up on Krista. She about lost her salvation. But anyway, so uh, <laughs> she was screaming, come, come. I came and saw it and said, you get it, you get it. <laughs> I went to the other room and prayed for her. I really lifted her up to the Lord. I'm just kidding. I captured it with some Tupperware. That's all I had. <laughs> Make my skin crawl thinking about it. Boy, I put it in there and walked over to the door and just slung that thing. Slam. And then I cried. <laughs> y'all quit cutting up. Third principle. Y'all ready? Say yeah. Here's the third principle. And I love this one. Remember the sandal. Remember the sandal. Verse 15 and 16. And by the way, I'm going to preach on this tonight. So, man, I'm really just barely scratching the surface this morning. 15 and 16. While the people were in a state of expectation and all were wondering in their hearts about John as to whether he was the Christ, John answered and said to them all, As for me, I baptize you with water, but one is coming is mightier than I, and I'm not fit to untie the thong of his sandal. See, the Jewish crowds and John were all living with great expectancy. They were expecting the promise of God to be fulfilled through the line of David. They'd been expecting that for years and nothing had changed. God promised that through David, 2 Samuel chapter 7, that one would come who would sit upon the throne of Jerusalem and reign as king forever and ever, and his kingdom would have no end. Anticipation filled their hearts, especially, by the way, because of the Roman oppression that many of them felt. So they wanted the Christ, the Messiah, to do away with Rome and give them places of priority in the land. And after listening to the spiritual authority of John the Baptist, they believed that maybe this is the Christ. Like maybe this is the guy. This is what we've been waiting for. But John stops them dead in their thinking tracks and declares his own expectation. He says, as for me, hey, I'm baptizing you with water, but one is coming is mightier than I am. I'm not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. And then he goes on and says, he's coming to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Come back tonight for that one. So listen, as you look at the idea of John the Baptist saying he's not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. This was a menial task of a slave in an oriental household. He took off the guest sandals and washed their feet as they entered into the home. And John's like, hey, listen, y'all think I'm the Christ? No, no, no. The guy who's coming, I can't even bend over and take care of his sandals. John's heart of humility is recorded as well in the book of John, where John says that Jesus must increase and I must decrease. That's the principle of the sandal. In humility, focus upon self is minimized while our focus on the person of Jesus is maximized. Did y'all hear this say yes? That's huge. Y'all got to stick with me. Focus on ourself is minimized. Focus on Jesus is maximized. And when our focus on Jesus is maximized, our heart to serve others is blowing up. The sandal, it reminds us to humbly expect to see the entrance of the person of Jesus in our lives as we study the Gospel of Luke. So we move past being acquainted with Jesus, and we know all the stories, yeah, to a point where we can be astonished by Him, amazed at Him, filled with joy because of Him. And that's our prayer. Basically, we just get ready. John was preparing the people of Israel to see their Messiah. The principles we learned together this morning prepare you and I to see 
the Messiah as we study Luke's gospel. So here's the deal. I want you to check it out. Here's what happens. See the full effect. You've got the log in your eye, so this morning what you're going to do is you're going to confess that. Repent of it. Confession means you put it down before the Lord Jesus. Say, this is sin. Hey, listen, Jesus, I know that you have given me power over this sin because you have guaranteed that through the uh, defeat of death, even on the cross. So I have the power now to say no to this by the Holy Spirit residing within me. So, Lord, I want to repent. I want to put this down at your feet. I want you to move the log and we lay it down. And then when we lay it down, our eyes are clearly able to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And by the way, that's a, a Paul quote in the book of Corinthians where we actually see the weight, uh, the reality of who God is in the face of Jesus. That is, in the person of Jesus. So now we're focusing on Jesus, but check this out. When these logs are out of the way and we get a glimpse of who Jesus is, it immediately makes us want to do this. Uh, what did John the Baptist say? Hey, there's a guy coming. I can't even get down on. I can't even get down here and untie the thong of his sandals. Are y'all listening? This is the posture of genuine repentance. In our hearts, we are humbly submitted to the person of Jesus Christ. Listen. Everything about our life revolves around who he is, what he's done, what he's doing in our heart, what he desires for us to do while we're on the earth. We're humbly submitted. And check this out. When we get in this position, we're able to see Jesus come into our lives and transform us. Are y'all listening? Check it out. Look, look at me eyeball to eyeball. Look, 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 look. This needs to be the posture of our entire church body. Are y'all listening? Now listen, I know I'm doing the physical posture, but I, I'm always amazed, uh, amazed uh, going places. And this happened at the Marietta Square. Went down to Marietta Square one time, walked down there, and guess what? Had a whole bunch of Muslims in there. And got their little rugs down, all of them on their face before the Lord bowing. I'm sitting there going, good night. Bless their heart, they're bowing to a God that don't even exist. It's ridiculous. Feel sorry for them. But you know what I have found? We who know the one true and living God in the Lord Jesus, we're so doggone prideful, we wouldn't bow. <laughs> Are y'all listening? Not us, boy. And I know, please don't talk to me afterward and be like, hey, man, it doesn't matter what you do, it's your heart. I understand that. But I have found this. When the Lord begins to transform your heart, you don't care what you've got to do. You want to worship Him. <laughs> it's like, I don't even care who's in the building. Are y'all listening? I don't know who it was. We were just worshiping a little while ago, and somebody during the song just come down and knelt down at the altar. What happened there? Are y'all listening? They had a glimpse of Jesus. That's what happened there. And I, I'm fully convinced, by the way, I'm on, I promise I'm going to close this out, but I start thinking about stuff. What, what, hey, look, check this out. Jesus is going to come, and when he comes, you think it's what we do? What's up? No, no, no. When Jesus comes... Is he not here? Get rid of the logs, man. Don't be a snake. Remember that sandal. Keeps you humbly expecting to see more of Jesus. Let's bow. Father, in Jesus' name, continue to speak to hearts.